Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. I want to open with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is, what I usually say is, take the word love out and husbands, wives, put your name in here. I still think that that's a good idea, but love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Yeah, you know, nice at weddings. Yes, absolutely. I think it's great advice. Um, when you're, you know, this is how husbands should act. This is how wives should act. Uh, we should always act like that. But there's a bigger context. And, and there is a relationship between love and unity. We're going to talk about that today. It, it, to me, it seems simple, but I think it's hard to put into practice. I mean, it's, it's simple in our heads. You, Kim, can we, or can somebody shut that? It is shut. Wow. They, they, they saw the chocolate donuts with the sprinkles. You cannot have true unity without love. Uh, you might have camaraderie think i mean think about a football team a team can come together and act in some level of of unity they can tolerate each other long enough for the game and then get into a fight in the locker room maybe afterwards you know we we can we can fake getting along for a bit but true unity requires more than just having, you know, more more than just what a football team maybe has, where their goal is to win a game and make some money. True unity requires love. A marriage can't, there's no love, there's no marriage. I mean, it's just people going through the motions. True unity requires love. And so when people see our church, what do they see? Do they do they marvel at the love that First Church of Christ has for God and for one another and for our community? They, they should. How, how do they have this love that is otherworldly? Because Christ-like love is otherworldly if we really have it. How do we have that? Well, today we are actually in Romans chapter 15. Turn with me to Romans 15. The word... The word for church, the Greek word, is ecclesia. Yes, it's where we get the word ecclesiastes as well. But ecclesia doesn't really mean church. We just translate it that way. It literally means those who are called out. God has called us out of the world. Are are we called out? Are we different? Some of you are very different. But what I mean is, are we different than the rest of the world? When people see the church, do they marvel at the glory of God? Can they see 
the glory of God, that this is something different, that this is nowhere else. Because if they can't, if they're not seeing, if they come to church and they can get this anywhere else, then why do they need the church, right? The church should offer something, needs to offer something that no one else offers. The church, the church lets us be who God made us to be. But if we're not doing that, if we're not being that, then why come to church? If they can't see the glory of God, then we as a church have let them down, have let him down. You know, sometimes we follow our traditions instead of the Bible. And that's the way we've always done it. And when we do that, when we put tradition over the word of God, we're following man instead of God. That doesn't mean I'm anti-tradition if the traditions don't conflict with the Bible. But when our traditions conflict with the Bible, we have a problem. Sometimes we try to make Jesus in our image instead of letting Jesus be himself. Jesus supports the things that I do. Jesus likes, I'm always right and Jesus always supports me. We're still asking the question, why do we care about unity? So I want to read from Romans chapter 15 and... uh, Romans chapter 15, verse 1, and see what we learn on the subject of unity. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and I will sing hymns to your name. Well, again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There, is a fail- there, there are two kinds of, of unity. There's a good kind of unity, And there's a bad kind of unity. There's a failing kind of unity motivated by greed. Bad unity is selfishness. It promotes your group at the expense of anyone else's group. Um, it, It feels like unity because I've got my group of people, my folk. So it feels united, but it's only united because it keeps other people out. Racism, sexism, clickishness. These are things that come from that kind of view. By nature, so I, my, my previous church got horrified that before Calypso was born, when I would go on vacation, I would leave Pam behind. 
I would just leave because I am really an introvert by nature. I really need my alone time. Um, and, and, and I love you all. And I love that you let me preach here. And I, I, I look forward to continuing to preach here. I hope for, it's not just up to me, but it's up to you guys as well. But if you'll have me, I look forward to staying here for, for, for quite a long time. Um, but <laughs> after Calypso goes to bed, I have, a, I have this old white, it's old, it's not probably white anymore, it's off-white now, um, recliner that sits in the corner of my study, this round thing, it's, kind of, it's not a recliner, it's a rocker. I lo- that, that is my favorite spot on earth, and I love to just hunker down in that thing with a, with a good science fiction book, and there's a certain scowl that I have when Pamela comes in to say something to me. If I'm in the middle of my book on my recliner, I am an introvert by nature. Um, but as a Christian, as part of the church, I can't afford to be a loner, to be someone who shuts other people out, because the job of the church is to share the gospel. And so my nature is very much leave me alone. I was, I, in, in some sense, I was the old man get off my lawn long before my time. But the Christian in me needs to open up my life because it's not my life, right? It's God's life. The Christian in me opens up my life to the world to share Jesus because that's what it means to be a Christian, which means if it goes against your nature like it goes against mine, lots of prayers. Lots of prayers on God help me to do what doesn't come naturally, um, what, isn't, what isn't easy. Um, I, th- I think a lot of preachers fall into this category because the church, churches have to hire somebody that has, loves to study the Bible, which is kind of a loner thing, and then loves to share it with people, which is kind of more of an extrovert thing. And I think that a lot of preachers go through this. We spend four years drastically studying the Bible in Bible college, um, maybe a few more years in seminary, and then are told, now reverse your personality and, be, and become an outgoing person. Um, but I, but maybe, maybe you're an introvert like me, and, and, and sharing the gospel isn't, isn't easy, doesn't come natural. Um, as a church, we have to take the gospel to other people. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' last words before he ascends into heaven uh, says, when you go, make disciples of all nations. The, the, the verb there is, is discipling. A lot of times, due to a translation that I don't know that I care for, we, we make go the verb. But the go is disciple. Or, I'm sorry, the verb is disciple. When you go, disciple all nations. And discipling... T- discipling takes people. It's not, it's not a loner job. You can't just like, here's a Bible, go become a Christian. It takes discipling. That's a selfless commission. What we've read is that the plan was always that God would reveal himself to the Jews and the Jews would reveal God to the Gentiles. Gentile is everybody that's not Jewish. That was always the plan. But one of the things that we see in the Old Testament uh, is that sometimes the, the Jewish nation could be very... Uh, Israel could be very exclusive. We are God's special people. They, they were. I don't want to say that they weren't, but they were special so that they could share that message. And that part two of that, you're special so that you can share, that, that second part was lost to many, despite Isaiah and Micah and other prophets telling them that they were to be a light to the Gentiles. A lot of times, they just kind of kept that light to themselves. And when Jesus comes, he fights against that mindset. And and that's a mindset the church can get into. We can get into this mindset that God is ours. 
that Jesus is ours. And if you're in our club, our clique, you're good. And we're, we're going to heaven. Nah, 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 nah. You guys aren't. But that's not our mindset, right? The whole point is that God wants us to share Jesus, not keep him to ourselves. Keeping the gospel for people that look like us, dress like us, sound like us, that's not the job. And, and not just in evangelism. You know, not just even in who we tell people about Jesus, but even in acts of service. Sometimes churches can fall into the trap of, uh, well, we have, we've got this benevolence fund, and there's certain kinds of people we'll give that money to, and there's certain kinds of people maybe we won't help with food or, or whatever. The heart of selfishness is antithetical to Christianity. True Christian faith is not selfish. Uh, this... This is in how we minister outside the church, but this is also in how we minister inside the church. If we're servants of one another, if we're servants of one another, a lot of our petty grievances go away. Most of the letters in the New Testament are addressed to the corporate failure of the church. Um, this, you know, Paul and Peter and the rest saying, this is not what the church should look like. Now, hear me, hear me. I think, th- I think that the letters of the New Testament are letters of joy. But as somebody pointed out, most of the letters of Paul begin with, praise God for, 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 his, uns- for his unsurpassing mercy. Knock it off, guys. <laughs> most of the letters of Paul have that aspect to them. Um, be- because the letters were written in a day when paper was very scarce, when... when there weren't a lot of friendly, hope you guys are doing well, keep up the good work. A lot of times, the letters were written because there were issues that needed to be addressed. And these are eternal issues. I mean, because, because every generation is a new generation, we do have to keep learning from, you know, relearning the things that the previous generation learned. And the church is no different. Those letters that Paul wrote to the Corinthians and the Thessalonians, are, they still apply to us. They're still the issues of the church. The church should stand out. Our, our Christian culture should stand out. Remember, remember high school where we all separated into our cliques of nerds and jocks? I, I, that can't have just been the early 90s where we separated into nerds and jocks and, and, and cheerleaders and all the different, all the different factions. It, it's one of the reasons there's a, there was a movie back then came out when I was in high school called The Breakfast Club, which was about these factions. And I still, for me, it's one of my favorite movies because I look at it and see that's what high school was like, sans detention that lasted a day. Um, but that shouldn't exist in the church. That doesn't mean you can't have friends in the church that are closer friends. It's not, I don't, nobody expects you to be equally friendly with every single person in the church in the sense that you like them all the same. There are people you're going to get along with for common interests, people that you're not going to get as long, you know, you're, you're not going to have as much in common. But the cliquishness, that shouldn't be in the church. We are a body. We have different tasks, but we act as a unit, unit, unity, or at least we should. Our problem is that corporate Christianity acting as a church is a struggle in a culture that is so individualistic. So selfish. So I'll do my thing, you do your thing. Don't, don't tread on me. The, the U.S. is one of the most individualistic countries on earth. It may be the most individualistic country on earth. And I like individualism. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I, I'm a big favor of, of 
you, you, you do the things you want to do, and if, if they bring you joy and they're not causing harm to anybody, you know, let, me read, let me read my comic books in my little chair in the corner. Um, but as a church, we cannot all do our own thing. Um, we can't all go our, our, our own direction. I'm always reminded, um, remember, a younger crowd won't, older crowd, we, we remember Mr. Wizard, right? My favorite Mr. Wizard episode ever was when he just had this gigantic glass box with, with I don't know, a hundred mousetraps in there. Each one had a ping pong ball balanced on it perfectly. And I remember him just dropping one ping pong ball in there and then two and then four and then the whole thing exploded. And every ping pong going in a different direction, but of course then it wasn't ordered and neat and tidy in there anymore. And when we do our own thing in the church and we're all going off in different directions, I just have that image of ping pong balls just flying everywhere. That's not what the church is called to be. To have, to have unity, we have to have love. The church, so the church of the 21st century is increasingly focusing on, on the subject of soteriology, which is the subject of salvation, which is a great subject. I love how are we saved. But one of the things that we, but we focus so much on how are we as individuals saved that we're not focusing as much on ecclesiology, which is, again, ecclesia, the called out ones, the church, what it means to be a church. We're so focused on read this book, which is a wonderful book, figure out how to be saved on your own, you're good, and sometimes we forget to focus on what it means to be the church. Um, and I think that that, in, in 2023, I think that that's why many churches are struggling to grow because it's just a bunch of individuals in a room together on a Sunday morning. Being the church is more than that. We, we too often live to please ourselves and not others, and that's wrong, what Paul says. We, we live to build each other up, to serve others, put others first, which is counter to American culture, but the church was always meant to be counterculture. Now, let me, obviously, when we talk about pleasing others, as one of my friends pointed out, if we gave away a free car every Sunday morning, we'd have the best attendance in town. But what you win them with is what you win them to. So we're not, we're not giving out free money to the people that walk through the door because then they're coming for the money, they're not coming for Jesus. That doesn't mean that we don't do things like potlucks and events that do try to get people's attention because we want to get people's attention. It doesn't mean that we don't do acts of mercy for people in need. Um, but I, I can think of, of, of a church back in Illinois. That same guy came to the church week after week asking for money, and they, they'd help him out. They knew who he was in the community. There came a point when the preacher said, we just can't keep, we can't be your source of income. Um, we don't see you even on Sundays. You know, what, at what point are, is this just that we're giving you money and, I mean, there's lots of people that need money. It's not the point of the church. And this guy got really mad and he never went to the church. It's not like he took that as, well, I should start coming to church. He just got mad at the, and, and, and that's, so when we say su- support one another, and we'll talk more on this, we're not talking about giving away free stuff, right? But, we, but, but, but on a spiritual level, we build each other up, we support each other. Sometimes support is accountability. Sometimes support is telling people things that they need to hear. And, and if we love each other and they know it comes from a spirit of love, we can tell people some hard things sometimes that they need to hear, that, that anybody else it would hurt them. But if they know that it's a safe place, 
that they're here and that they're loved, well, we can have those hard conversations. And sometimes all of us need those sometimes. People will be pleased to grow close to God when we are loving and when we show them God's love, let him love others through us. That's, that's the job. So, there, so greed is the failure. When, when there's the wrong kind of unity motivated by greed, we have a failure at unity. But the right kind of unity uh, in fellowship will cause growth. So my, when I was in college, my, my college advisor uh, was Dr. Robert Kirko, an, an amazing human being. Um, just not, not just a professor, not just my advisor, but a, but a true friend. Um, he said, as a church, we're getting better about teaching people what it means to have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus. He said, but I ask, he said, I asked the question, are, are we showing God's redemptive love? Because a relationship with Jesus divorced from talk about God's redemption, one of those big words that maybe we don't even fully know what it means. When we talk about redemption, are, are, are we failing? Because if we were talking about true redemption, the church should grow from this. See, the goal of the church, the church and this church, is not to have the best music, programs, sermons, Sunday school class alone. Don't get me wrong, I would love to have the best of those, but those aren't the end goal. Those are tools that we get, that we use to get to the end goal. Our goal is to bring people closer to Jesus. Uh, those outside the church who don't know him to come into the church means they're drawing closer to Jesus. But if you're already in the church, you're not done. Now the journey begins. Now we daily draw closer to him. And there's never a day when you're done. There's never a day when you arrive. Now, there's that point when we become a Christian. There's that point when we say, I want to make Christ Lord of my life. I want to be baptized into his name. And in that point, when we become a Christian, one, in one sense, it's done. But it's done in the sense like, if I want to start on a diet, you know, we're still in January, we can talk about diets, right? If I decide to start on a diet and decide to eat healthy, I can talk about it all year long. The first day that I cut sugars out of my diet is not the end of the journey. It's the beginning of the journey. Um, but at least we've made that first step and that first step. Now I can say I'm dieting. And, uh, while I'm talking about it and, and, and not cutting, but saying one of these days I'm going to cut sugars from my diet. I'm not dieting. The, the first meal that I cut the sugars is the f- first day of the rest of my diet. Following Jesus, getting baptized into his name, is the first day of the proverbial rest of your life. When we become a Christian, baptized into his name, it's the first step. But it's not the end. Now, on the one hand, we're saved. Absolutely, we're saved. And on the other hand, we're being saved. And the Bible uses both language. Um, Work out your salvation, uh, we're told, with fear and trembling. So within the church, we ask the question, are we growing? Because if you say, Jason, I've been coming to this church for 20 years, and I'm just the same place I was that I was 20 years ago, something's wrong. We might, Christ should be transforming us, and that is a lifetime process. Again, the great commission is not to go, but to disciple. And we skip this too often. We become disciples by devoting ourselves to the Lord. True devotion, prayer, Bible reading, these things matter. These things make us more Christ-like. A community devoted to true discipleship 
and we'll, be, we'll grow, and we will have fellowship with each other, and we have to have a spirit of unity. We're not always going to agree, right? I mean, we, we could disagree on little things like, you know, if we decided to reupholster the pews, we might have a disagreement on what color the pews should be. I mean, that's a little thing. There may be some biblical issues that we, that we look at. Um, if you do the math through the book of Judges, if you take David's genealogy um, and, and look at who David is the son of, son of Obed, son of Jesse, Jesse Obed, go, work your way back, and you do the math from where Judah lived and where David lived, you do the math and you say, wow, all these guys had a kid at the age of 95. Maybe. Or they skip a few names. And we can disagree about that. You, you might say that I take this literally and absolutely. If, if the Bible says this is the genealogy of, of David, no, no wiggle room. We're not going to, you know, that's who it is. And if they all had kids at the average age of 95, then it's God and he can work miracles. And I have no problem with that belief. Knowing that Matthew skips a few names in his genealogy of Jesus, I could also see maybe the argument that, that maybe in other places the Bible skips one or two names. And when we say son of, it might mean grandson of or great-grandson of, the way that Matthew does. And we know that Matthew does this. So maybe, that, maybe they weren't having kids at the age of 95. And there's room to have that discussion, right? That doesn't, that's not a, a whether or not Jesus saves us kind of issue. We're not always going to agree on some of the little things like that. But I'm reminded of a story This is a story that I watched play out in southern Illinois um, where some churches got into a real debate between each other. Some of our churches got into a real debate on whether or not you could have midweek communion at like a church camp or like on Thursday during Easter service kind of thing. And some of the churches said you can only have communion on Sunday. Other churches said you can do midweek communion. The first communion was on a Thursday. You can do communion on a midweek. The Bible never says you can only do it on Sunday. And, the other, but, and both were very, very, very convinced that they were right and calling the other one wrong and calling the other one weak. And while calling the other one weak, Peter says, bear, or Paul says, bear with each other's weakness. But while both, churches were, both groups of churches were willing to call the other one weak, neither one was willing to compromise and bear with each other's weakness. Um, if our motivation is love, we will love the weak, not mock them. It is the duty of the strong Christians whose personal convictions allow them more freedom than the weak to bear with the failings of the weak and to love the weak. Now, let me say, failings are not sin. Let's, let's be very clear on this. We're, we're not talking about bear with sin. Um, there are strong versus weak issues. Times that you can accommodate people, times you should accommodate people, and there are times that you can't accommodate people, uh, and, and things that even Jesus couldn't accommodate. Uh, so, sometimes you can accommodate people, and it actually hinders their growth, because it tells them, keep doing what you're doing, keep being weak, you'll get rewarded for being weak. And then, so we ask this, the question, so how do we know, Jason? Well, I'm, I'm told about people in banks that the way that you... Uh, deal with counterfeit the way you know counterfeit money is if you're dealing with real money all day long when a counterfeit bill works its way in there because you're so familiar with the real thing that you can just kind of feel when it's not right when it's off um i know that that's true with the bible the more that we dig into it 
the more that we're familiar with it, that we just eat and breathe the Bible, uh, that it's part of us, then we learn the mind of God because he transforms us. And we learn what to make, what's worth planting our feet and standing on and where we've got room to back off and, and, and allow people room to grow. But that only comes from maturity. It only comes from being... You know, and so if we choose to never read this book and never dig into it, then we will always be the weak ones. We will always be the ones that are spiritually immature. Spiritual maturity and strength comes from knowing the Word of God. And so, unity... This gets back to my original question. Why have unity at all? And, And Paul answers this. The function of unity is glorification. A fancy word. Uh, Verse 6 is is my thesis. 5 and 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The the Greek word for glory here is the word doxa. Might be a word that you recognize. We use it in the word doxology. You you know that song, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know that song. That's doxa. Um, Doxology. Uh, Doxa means glory and praise. They're the same word. Praise, Praise brings glory to God. Bright, other synonyms that, that word means in Greek, brightness, splendor, radiance, magnificence, majesty, honor. You know who loved that word in the ancient, in the ancient world? Queen Cleopatra, the last pharaoh of Egypt. She loved that word. She used it a lot in her writings, uh, and that was a favorite word of, of Cleopatra. Um, God is the definition of doxa. He is glorious. He is worthy to be praised. He is majestic and splendid. Heaven is described as doxa, glorious. Um, A radiant kingdom full of splendor and brightness. And those who dwell in the kingdom of heaven are described as glorious. And so you can tell where I'm going with this, right? The kingdom of heaven is now. We've talked about that before. We're not waiting for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus Christ, by his death, created the church. The kingdom of heaven is now. Now, it's not fully realized. It's not not fully matured. The bride of Christ is still being perfected. But as members of the bride of Christ, as members of the church of Christ, we we are in the process of being perfected. We are made glorious. We are called to doxa, to glory and praise now. We're called to praise God today with our lives. Paul says that when we are united, we can glorify God better. And this is why I love the church of God so much. This is why the church is, is just so important to me. Can you read your Bible at home on your own? Yes, and I, and I hope that you are. Can you pray at home on your, on your own? Yes, and I don't know how you can get through the week without it, to be quite honest. Can you... Glorify God together in the unity of the Spirit with the fellow saints of God. Bluntly put, no. Not not really. That's why the church comes together. Because in unity, we can glorify God in ways that we can't on our own. 
We need each other to be the church that God called us to be. In today's individualistic society, we celebrate lone rangers who do the solo hero thing. We, we, our, our culture is, is built around um, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and, and, and solving your own problems. And, and again and again, we see that that's, that's the mindset of, of hero that certainly American culture today uh, glorifies. Um, but the church is not about one person or even a small few people. We're a team. We're a family. To be everything that God wants us to be, we have to stick together, we have to work together, and, and to love one another. And, and I think that one of the things that God just loves is the concept of a choir. Don't get me wrong, solos are pretty neat in their place, but I think God likes choirs more than solos. Uh, and I think that they exemplify what he wants to see from the church. Our hymn of decision today is hymn number 332. Have we settled for mediocrity in the church? Have we settled for good enough? Are we okay with okay? You know, Jason, our church isn't perfect. We've got our problems. But every church has its problems. Yeah, but I don't want to use that as an excuse. I don't want to settle for good. I want to be great. Great starts with loving God and loving each other. And, And that might take prayer. There's nothing wrong with praying, God, I, there's someone in church and I don't always get along. Help me to love this person. They're not always lovable. That's okay. That's between you and God. God I mean, God knows you're feeling that anyway, so, so you might as well pray about it. Pray for unity. Pray for love. If you haven't accepted the love of Christ for yourself today, I'd like to talk with you after church about what that looks like. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.